Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are getting ready to dive into a big book study. Today we are in chapter 5 on page 58. And what we're going to talk about today is how it works. So as we've moved through the book, we've encountered a lot of information about what is an alcoholic, what isn't an alcoholic, how we fail to keep commitments to ourselves and therefore others, and how that brings a lot of trouble in our life. And we've been introduced to the ideas of incomprehensible demoralization as sort of a a stopping point for many of us, that we just get to this point that most people can't understand. And we've brought this along with a doctor's opinion that we suffer from a disease process that is like an allergy. And when we drink, we get the phenomena of craving, which turns into an obsession and we can't stop. So if you've decided that you cannot stop drinking and if you believe that you are an alcoholic, there is a way out. Now, in how it works, we're going to break it up into four sections. And today is the first part of that. And there's some key words to really think about. It took a long time for me to recognize that how it works wasn't about how Dan thinks it works. It took a long time for me to see that this is how it works. It works. And that it would be the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You'll hear in meetings people say, well, my program or my steps, there is no such thing. There are the program, and the steps. And that's really outlined in here well. And like I said, I didn't pick up on that right away. It's important to remember what we want to do here is get in position to follow the path of the people that have done this successfully. And this is their path. You guys ready? Part one, how it works. And we've all read this and heard this thousands of times. So I'm going to emphasize it in a way that I hope somehow, you know, brightens it up for you. Ready? Here we go. Chapter 5, page 58. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed, done everything we said to do, that gave themselves completely to this, thoroughly followed our path, our path, not your path, not a bunch of different paths, this one path, this one path we all followed. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty, a deliberate, focused effort to be honest, rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average, but their chances aren't zero, are they? Then there are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. And for me, you know, you hear things like I'm dual diagnosed. I don't know how many different diagnoses I showed up with. I guarantee you there was all sorts of grave mental things going on inside of me, but that's for another story. Our stories. Now, here we go again. Here's that word, our. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. What we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. And that comes from Bill's story, that format. If, capital I, capital F, if you have decided you want, not need, what we have, 
and are what we have, this one thing that we have called sobriety, and are willing to go to any length to do absolutely anything, to just simply give yourself completely to this program, to go to any length that you're not going to question it, you're not going to not do it, even if you don't want to, you're going to do it, even if you think it's stupid, you're going to do it, whether you think it'll work or not, you're going to do it. If you are willing to go to any length to get it, what we have, which is sobriety, then, but not until then, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked, which means to refuse. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. In other words, this is the easy, soft way. There is not an easier, softer way to achieve the goal of sobriety. So he goes on, with all the earnestness, which means a genuine feeling, with all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil, none at all, until we let go. Absolutely. So there we are again, completely give yourself to this. Throw your opinion in the trash can. It doesn't belong here. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, which means it fools us, baffling. We don't understand how that happens. Powerful, stronger than you are, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. Those are the people, those are the hours in this. We found alcohol to be greater than our own personal strength. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now, right now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. Turning points are so important, and you may be there right now. And I just want to stop here for a second. For those that are new, suicide might be on your mind. Running away might be on your mind. Trying to find some way out from this might be on your mind. And I want to beg you myself right now to be fearless and thorough from the very start to stay right here and start to do what the people of Alcoholics Anonymous tell you to do. Your life can and will dramatically improve. Back to it. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his, God's, protection and care with complete abandon. Once again, all the way in, all the way in, this is the easier, softer way. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's everybody in AA, right? We all did this. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You don't got to believe anything right now. You'll arrive at that by doing the program. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood them. We're going to figure that out another time. You can be atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. Just hold on. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We're going to dive in and find out what makes us so nutty. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're going to take a really solid look at the things in us that cause us all this trouble. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, not some of them, all of them. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. So we're making a turn here. 
8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. We're starting to focus on how we can serve others. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So we have a way of repairing relationships. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. This is our method of staying on track. So many of us have had trouble doing that. That's how you do it. This is another part of that. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. That's praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Critical thought. We'll get to that later. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Wow, there it is. That's the program of recovery. That's it. Not your program, not the treatment center's program, not the court's program. This is the Alcoholics Anonymous program of recovery. This is what people that are successful do. Many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it, Dan. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing, 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 going to be a theme right on through this, that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, which we had in all those chapters, the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, more about alcoholism, we agnostics, all that stuff, there is a solution. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. Pertinent, relating to a relevant thing, which is recovery, pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Who's proven that to themselves? I think all of us, right? B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And God knows many have tried. Judges and police and doctors and wives and husbands and kids and all kinds of people. See, and see that God, that God, the only source we have of the strength and power to get this thing done, that God could and would if he were sought. Are you willing to seek the God of your understanding? Are you willing to do it? Being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided we, that means everybody in AA, this is what we did, all right? We decided to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. Now, it's not, you know, any old God on planet Earth, right? It's God as you understand him. Your God as you understand him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? So we're going to revisit at this point in this chapter Step one, and that's we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. So as we dive into this, we're going to confront some really interesting things about ourselves. So it says the first requirement or step one is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Is your life an example of success or failure? Ask yourself that. On this basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody even though our motives are good. So we mean well, but they're idiots, right? And I can't deal with them anymore. They won't do what I want. Most people try to live by self-propulsion, 
I'm going to make it happen, right? I'm going to make them do what I want. I'm going to demand the world treat me a certain way. The world should suit me. I am not going to suit the world. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. Like I know better than anyone. They just need to listen to me. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. If they just leave me alone, I'll be fine. Just do what I say and shut up, right? A lot of us take that into this. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. And trying to make these arrangements our actor, meaning you, me, may sometimes be quite virtuous, which means morally good. He may be kind and considerate and patient and generous, even modest and self-sacrificing so long as he gets what he wants, right? He's a manipulator. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. He might be a dominating personality. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. No doubt, right? More, other people are more to blame. Like, I mean, I'm doing this perfect and I'm dealing with a bunch of morons. It's just how it is. He becomes angry, indignant, which is showing anger. You know, you're expressing your anger. You're being mad, self-pitying, poor little old me. Why won't they do what I ask? They're hurting me. Can't they see that? What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? In other words, he's kind in order to get something. Is he not a victim of the delusion, which is a lie that we tell ourselves, a belief that is not true, a delusion that he can rest or make or create satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages it well. So what we're talking about there, a lot of us have done this, and this is sort of the rules of drinking that we came across in our previous chapters that I, I just kept trying to change the world. I might have gotten a divorce or switched jobs or even moved, switched bank accounts, who knows, changed bars, right? Changed brands, changed types of liquor, all these different things. If only I could manage it well, if I just do this, I'll be fine. That's usually the thought in my mind, right? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate? snatching all they can get out of the show? Here's the critical sentence. Is he not? Are you not? Are we not when we're drinking? Even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? So you can ask yourself, I mean, how are your relationships in life, right? How are the things in your life really going? Do you, would you call it harmonious? <laughs> or would you say it's somewhat confusing for you right now? So it goes on to give us a reason why this might be. It says, our actor is a self-centered egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He is like the retired businessman who lulls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of all the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. 
whatever our protestations, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity? And I think yes is the answer to that. So we're going to, there's two more concepts we're about to run across in here that are vital. So important that we pay attention to these things and understand the purpose of the steps is to undo these two things in order to build a relationship with God. That's the reason for the book. It's the reason to be here. We don't have to worry about drinking if we pay attention to these two things about ourselves and are willing to do the work necessary to be rid of it. Here it goes. You guys ready? This is the root of our trouble. Here we go. Selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. All our problems don't come from alcohol. They come from selfishness and self-centeredness. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. We lie to people. We take their money. We do not give 100% at our work. We're not loyal to our friends. We're not faithful to our spouses. We're not attentive to our kids. And we can't understand with all that we do why they're so mad at us, right? It says we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Critical line right here, another. If you're pointing the blame finger out there. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. These are the things it says our talking about the people successful in maintaining sobriety in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, it is critical that you embrace these ideas to the degree that you're at least willing to do the work to find out if they're true or not. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. Oof. Not the court, not the spouse, not the job, ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will, of me doing what I want, run riot, gone out of control. That my self-will, me doing what I want, has gone out of control. Though he usually doesn't think so. And a lot of us don't until we hit that incomprehensible demoralization point. Above everything, we alcoholics, that's the people in the room that are successful at staying sober, Above everything, above everything, most important thing, number one thing, nothing more important, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us, not alcohol, selfishness. <laughs> it's an important distinction. God makes that possible. Not your spouse, not your counselor, not your psychiatrist, not your treatment center, not the police, not the court system. Not money, not a new house, not getting the job back. None of that. God makes that possible. We must or it kills us and God makes that possible. You don't have to believe that. That's not important. We're going to end up there. Just hold on to those ideas for a second because they're going to come together with something else here in a second. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid, God's aid. Many of us have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. We don't keep the commitments we make to ourselves. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. 
We had to have God's help. All right, so you've tried all these things, and wherever you're at in trying things on self-will, you know, let go of that. That's what we're asking. Just, just stop that for a second and do what the people that are successful in Alcoholics Anonymous are doing. Get a sponsor, do what they say. Even if they're wrong, do it anyway. So we run into step two here, and this is going to bring us to another idea, and then we're going to be done with this part. So it says, this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. In other words, we had to let go of our self-control, our, our desire to control everything, and just start doing what other people tell us to do. Follow a different set of directions as completely as we possibly can. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, here's a critical thing, God was going to be our director. We're going to do as we're told. He is the principle, meaning the constant thing that never changes. We are his agents. We work for him. He is the father and we are his children. In other words, he has a authority position over us and we are to do as he says, just because he says to do and for no other reason. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone, the keystone of the new and triumphant arts through which we, the people of AA that are successful at staying sober, passed to freedom from not just alcohol, but from selfishness, which includes freedom from alcohol. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, in other words, it is profitable for us personally to work for God. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed. We saw that the things come automatically. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, not my work, his work, not self-will, God's will, not what Dan thinks is the right thing to do, but what's this program of AA says the next right thing is to do? That's a tough question to ask yourself, and it'll change. Your understanding of that will change over time. He provided what we needed if... We kept close to him. In other words, we stay with this program and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became the people that are successful or the we, the people that stay sober, became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life, not our life, everybody else's life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed Peace of mind. Isn't that what we're all really after? A sense of calm, peace of mind. As we discovered we could face life successfully. I mean, if you're new here, this may seem drastic and it's a really easy pathway for you. If you can throw away the resistance to this program, throw away the old ideas and just do what's being told of you to do by the people that have successfully stayed sober. That's the, the critical element. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his, God's presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. Now, that sounds religious, and I know it does. We're going to stop there for now. And this is what I want you guys to think about. It's a little Debbie story. All of us have like a favorite snack cake, right? And we love that snack cake. So I like Little Debbie's. Maybe you're a hostess freak. Maybe you're like an off-brand or a Lancer. I don't know. Maybe an Entenmann's person. I don't know. But think about it. 
you got a favorite snack cake and it's a perfect day for a snack cake. So now remembering that we're alcoholics and we're kind of obsessive people, you wake up in the morning, you're like, it's a, it's a perfect day. And I'm going to go get my little Debbie snack cake for me. It's the oatmeal pie. If you spend any time in prison or jail, you probably love oatmeal pies or maybe you never want to see them again. Some people are Swiss rolls or star crunch zebra cakes. I don't know, but you want, you, you just got to have this thing. So you march on down to your favorite grocery store and you know, right where they're at and you go grab them, right? And you go trouncing on back up to the cashier and they're dressed in their uniform and everything seems to work right. And they blast it into the technology and you slide your card out, your Google Pay or whatever it is. And you get it and you head on home and, and you stop and you pick up about 14 gallons of Mountain Dew, whatever your favorite drink is, right? So you got 600 Little Debbie Cakes and 14 gallons of Mountain Dew and you're headed to your porch and you sit out there and you go, oh my God, this day is perfect. And you, that's the self-centered thing, right? You recognize that you went and did these things. You went and got the Little Debbie Cakes and you went and got the Mountain Dew and you say, man, I'm having a great day and it's all about you. That's the thing that we're trying to avoid. That's what we don't want to do because sitting in back of that is the concept of God in this story. And the concept of God in this story is that, well, something like 10,000 people work in the chain of events that made that little Debbie cake. And there's marketing people and packaging and recipes and people that grew the ingredients or formulated the ingredients. There's people that made the ink on the box. There's people that made the end cap that we all know where it's at. I mean, Heck, we all know where the little Debbie display is in our favorite store, right? And if it wasn't there, we'd be very upset. We would say, how in the world could they be out of oatmeal pies? I mean, that's preposterous. Because we absolutely rely on all these unseen things that communicate across generations of people, across professions that don't relate to one another, across geographical barriers that are global to produce a momentary experience of me, of Eureka, the oatmeal pie, you know? And that's not the end of it. The store was there. You didn't build the store. You had nothing to do with it. The cashier is there with all sorts of technology, right? You didn't make any of that. You had nothing to do with any of it. You pay for it with a card. You didn't create any of these systems. They're here for you. They want your success. They want you to be there to do exactly what you're doing. The doing of it is great. The gratitude for the ability to do it is what we're talking about, God. And you may not connect all these things. Then you get in your car and you drive home, right? And the lights work and the roads are paved and the car starts and all that stuff. And you get home and you sit on your porch and you're having this great day because you got 14 gallons of Mountain Dew and 60 freaking little Debbies, right? You're loving life. A lot went into that for you that didn't know you, but it was for you. And you were able to take advantage of it. And what we're asking for you to do in AA is become a part of that system, like the Little Debbie Cake, in your AA group. This is how it works. That we do these steps so we can be of service to others. And your AA group is much the same way. So as you look at your AA group, no, you didn't put it together. You didn't organize it. You didn't write this book. It's all here waiting on you to do it. Show it the respect it deserves. Look around the room. You can see it's restored life and happiness to a lot of people. Not individuals, not gurus, not Dan Dan. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not my program, the program, our program. So I beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. And what I'd love for you guys to talk about today are the unlikely series of events. The seemingly unimportant decisions. 
the things that happened, those X-factor occurrences and circumstances that brought you to AA. How did you get here today? And as you listen to other people talk about that, contemplate the number of things that were going on in the background that they had nothing to do with, that landed them there. And you will find God in there. You will see God in that. As we became conscious of his presence, and this is one way to do it, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. So I hope you can expand your perspective and see God or good orderly direction or at least a series of events that doesn't have any relevance to you that you can benefit, that there's a power greater than yourself, and it is good, and you can use it. It's available to you right here, right now, whether you're sitting with a sponsor or in an AA group or driving in your car. It's here for you. I hope you have a great discussion.